Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio, featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center, located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew will start a new series on the book of Isaiah, with this one entitled, The Strange Mission of Isaiah. Now here is our teacher, Pastor Matthew. Father, we call upon you. We know that you are in the midst of this assembly in accordance with your own gracious promise. But we are a sinful people. There is blindness. There is deafness. There is hardness of heart in us. And therefore we seek the help of the spirit of the living God. Help us, O God, we pray, that we may understand your glorious promise in your holy word. The promise of salvation. And may we be saved by you, by your Son, Jesus Christ, the only Savior of the world. Therefore, O Lord, help us. Help us to hear. Help us to understand. Help us to reveal to us your truth. Lord, when the word is preached, you reveal it to people as well as you hide it from people. Lord, we want you to reveal it to us. Reveal it to us, the mysteries of the gospel. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Isaiah chapter 6. In the year the king Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying, and they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with thongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. The whole chapter 6 of Isaiah is speaking about the strange commission of Isaiah. Isaiah lived in the 8th century and he had a long prophetic career. And tradition tells us that the evil king Manasseh cut him in two and he died as a martyr in his old age. The book of Isaiah is called the Romans of the Old Testament. Chapters 6 and 40 
are of key significance in which Isaiah finds himself summoned in the presence of God to receive a specific commission. First, to a ministry of judgment, and then to a ministry of comfort. God would summon Assyria and then Babylon to chastise his people. Then he would call Cyrus of Persia to set them free, that is, the people of God to go home. The importance of Isaiah is seen from the fact that it is quoted no fewer than 66 times in the New Testament, second only to the Psalms, which are quoted in the New Testament about 79 times. Now, during the reign of King Uzziah, that is 791 through 740, because of the decline of the superpower Assyria, there was great peace and economic growth in Judah. But this increased wealth resulted in religious externalism and a diminished view of God. You know that Uzziah himself became arrogant and flouted the holiness of God when he entered the temple, entered the holy place to burn incense as a priest. He was judged, he became a leper, and lived as an unclean person, and died in the year 740 B.C. Uzziah means, the Lord is my strength. But what happened to him was he became mere Uza. Uza means strength. He was godly, but he became autonomous and ungodly. Not only Uzziah, but the whole nation became morally sick and forgot God. Turn to chapter 1 and verse 4. Oh, sinful nation, a people loaded with guilt, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. Verse 6, from the sole of your foot to the top of your head, there is no soundness, only wounds and wells and open sores, not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with oil, morally corrupt and sick people. Now in chapter 5, Isaiah pronounces six woes upon this morally sick nation. Isaiah 5 verse 8, Woe to you! who add house to house and join field to field, till no space is left and you live alone in the land. 
This is greed, materialism, flouting the law of God, oppressing people, buying up their land. Verse 11, woe to those who rise early in the morning to run after their drinks, people given over to drunkenness and pleasure. Verse 18, woe to those who draw sin along with cords of deceit. Verse 20, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. It is speaking about the time in which we are living, perversion. Verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And verse 22, woe to those who are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks who acquit the guilty for a bribe but deny justice to the innocent. And so he pronounces judgment upon the nation as a whole. Now the question is, what is going to happen now? The king is dead. After 52 years of prosperous reign. So we want to look at a few things. First, the vision. Secondly, the confession. Thirdly, the cleansing. And fourthly, the commission. The vision of the great king. Isaiah is given a vision of another king who does not die, who always rule as the great king over all kingdoms of the earth. He is the king. He is the Adonai, the sovereign of heaven and earth, the Lord of hosts. He is the all-ruling and all-conquering sovereign. And in chapter 7 and verse 18, we realize how powerful this great king is. Look at verse 18 of chapter 7. In that day the Lord will whistle for flies from the distant streams of Egypt and for bees from the land of Assyria. In other words, in his view, superpowers are seen as flies and bees who can be summoned to do his will at his command. So a vision is given to Isaiah. Now we are told in John chapter 1 verse 18, no one has ever seen God and that is true. No one has ever seen God as he truly is. So this vision is also a vision that is designed to save the one who sees the vision rather than to destroy him. And all people who saw God, whether Moses or anybody else, they saw God in a shielded way. And therefore they lived. So he saw the great king. He is seated. He is high. He is exalted. The train of his robe fills the temple. In other words, he is the sovereign ruler of all. He is beyond human manipulation. And he is praised continually 
by angelic beings called here seraphs. This is the only place that seraphs make their appearance. They are the burning ones. They are seen as flames of fire with six wings. Their eyes are covered as well as their feet. Though they are holy, they would not look directly at the glory of this great glorious king. With two wings we see them flying continually above the king, praising him, Kodosh, 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 holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his radiant manifest glory. What a theophany. What a vision. At their praise, the doorposts of the temple are shaking. And smoke filled the temple. God is present in the midst of his people. The kings may die. The superpowers of the world may disappear. But the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords lives and rules forever. He will judge and he will save. The center of all is not earth. The center of all we read in Revelation 4 is heaven. And the center of heaven is the throne. And the center of the throne is the Lord. And this Lord is seen by Isaiah, especially in terms not of his power, nor of his wisdom, but of his holiness. And so we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. This holiness has to do with his brightness and separateness, otherness from us. This God dwells in unapproachable light. He is apart from us. He is transcendent. He alone is creator, self-existing, infinite God. He alone is redeemer of the sinful. He alone is characterized by moral majesty. The cry, holy, 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 is a super superlative, emphasizing the totality of his moral transcendence from us who are sinful and fallen. And you see this emphasis in Revelation chapter 4. And verse 8. A totally sinful people and a king who is totally holy. That's the picture that is before us. Who is this king? I want you to turn to chapter 40 and get an idea of the transcendence and the majesty of this king. In whom? We are asked to put our trust that he may save us. Who is he? Look at verse 12 of chapter 40. Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? 
Verse 13, who has understood the mind of the Lord? Verse 15, surely the nations are like a drop in a bucket. They are regarded as dust on the scales. He weighs the islands as though they were fine dust. Verse 17, before him all nations are as nothing. They are regarded by him as worthless and less than nothing. Did you say you got 1600 in SAT? And you feel pretty good. And you don't want to believe in God. The Bible says you are nothing. You are worthless. You are less than nothing. You are dust. You are mist. You are vapor. You are grass. Look at verse 21. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood since the earth was founded? He sits enthroned above the circle of the earth and its people are like grasshoppers. He stretches out the heavens like a canopy and spreads them out like a tent to live in. Verse 23. He brings princes to naught. And reduces the rulers of this world to nothing. And verse 25, to whom you will compare me. Who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens who created all these. Verse 28, do you not know, have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He will not grow tired or weary, and his understanding no one can fathom. But look at verse 29. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope, trust in the Lord, will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary, and they will walk. And not be vain. That is the Lord we are talking about. What a majestic theophany. And so the second point is the confession of Isaiah. Remember he pronounced six woes to the nation in chapter 5. Now this vision of the Lord did not produce a rapture or ecstasy in him, but it produced sheer terror. The revelation of God's glory and majesty will always do that. It will reveal our sinfulness, our nothingness, our weakness, our lostness. And so, listen to him. He pronounces the seventh woe. Woe to me. I'm undone. I'm silenced. I am utterly ruined. I now realize not only the nation, but I myself am unclean and therefore unfit to come to the presence of God and serve him. I'm condemned. I'm excluded. Woe to me. Isaiah comes to realize his radical depravity. Woe to me because I'm unclean. 
and woe to me because I have seen the king. I must die. I must die. This was what happened to Peter when he realized Jesus was God. He said, depart from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. You know, your arrogance will evaporate instantly if only God in his grace and mercy gives you a knowledge of him. I'm a man of unclean lips. My lips are unclean. Because my heart is unclean. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The very imagination of my thought is only evil continually. I am sinful from conception. Turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 3, verse, beginning with verse 10. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have turned away, they have Together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. And the final assertion, there is no fear of God before their eyes. Isaiah is saying, how can I praise God as seraphs are doing? I am a man, a sinful man. I am excluded from praising God who is most holy without cleansing. I am without hope. But there is cleansing. That's the third point. There is cleansing. And chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 speaks about it. Isaiah is unclean from top of the head to the sole of his feet. You cannot come to God and speak about degrees of sinfulness. God demands perfection. In order that you may have fellowship with God, he's not going to be satisfied with some comparative righteousness. He's unclean, just like the nation is unclean. He pronounced a word to himself. He identifies with the nation because he is unclean, and the nation is unclean. And he cannot cleanse himself. There is no self-salvation. He must be cleansed by another. No, another man cannot do it. But God himself must clean him up. Salvation is of the Lord. And therefore the Lord commands a seraph, a burning one, to cleanse him. This seraph, this flaming fire, is flying toward me. He is coming to me with a burning coal taken from the altar. What is he doing? He touches my mouth with the burning coal. What is the meaning of this? You look at the text. The meaning is not left to you. You are not 
given the responsibility of interpreting it. God himself interprets it. The meaning is also given to me. There is the deed and there is also the word that explains the deed. There is the fact and there is the interpretation of the fact. God performs his deed and God interprets it for us. The touch of the burning coal has instantly taken away my guilt and my sin. That's the meaning. I'm no longer unclean. I'm justified. I'm saved. I'm clean. The live coal was from the altar. And the altar represents the blood sacrifice. The substitutionary atonement. It represents propitiation. A sacrifice of another. That turns away a divine wrath that was against you. And now God is favorably disposed to you to show you mercy. Turn with me to the book of Leviticus and the 17th chapter. And verse 11. For the life of a creature is in the blood, and I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls. On the altar it is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. Uh, look at chapter 1 of Isaiah. It speaks about how foul the people of God has become. And yet in the middle of it, there is the amazing manifestation of grace in verse 18. Come now, he's addressing these wicked people, perverted people, arrogant people. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. Now it is speaking about some way your sin and your guilt will be cleansed and you shall be clean. But we are not told how he is going to do. And you have to go all the way to Isaiah 53 and there... Let's turn to it. It tells you the way he is going to do it. And in chapter 53, verse 5 and 6, but he was pierced for our transgressions. Speaking about someone who is going to be crucified in our place for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Or turn to the New Testament, and you can read it in Matthew 26, verse 28, Romans 3, 25 and 26, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. There is no cleansing. There is no justification. There is no sanctification. There is no redemption. There is nothing. My sin was punished in another, in his son. I am forgiven and I am justified. That's the idea taught in this live coal taken from the altar and touching the mouth of Isaiah, the unclean, and he is clean. The cleansing is all of God. God planned it. God executed it. 
And God is applying it to you and to Isaiah personally. You have it. You have this vision of the king seated on the throne of great moral majesty. It is a throne of judgment, but all of a sudden, it is changed into a throne of grace for Isaiah. For me, the throne of judgment has become the throne of grace to which I can draw near with confidence. And now the fourth is the strange mission. And chapter 6, 18 through 8 through 13 tells you the strange mission, the strange commission. Suddenly, Isaiah is allowed to hear the voice of the one seated on the throne. Verse 8, then I heard the voice of the Lord. Isaiah is no longer excluded. He is reconciled to God. He is permitted to have fellowship with God. He now hears the word of God. He is brought into the counsel of God. And he hears, he overhears what's going on in the counsel of God. Who will go? Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Notice the word us. That is telling us about the Trinity. This is the eternal counsel. Hallelujah. See, in Genesis 3, God himself came. Isn't that true? He doesn't have to send anybody. Why do you have to send anybody, God? Wipe them out. Destroy them. He didn't have a plan of redemption for angels. Wipe them out. But no, he has a plan for people, sinful people. Who shall I send? And who will go for us? And he overhears it. In other words, he is now brought into fellowship with God. Why? He's cleansed. Who will go for us? This is the counsel of Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. God has some work to be performed. God has a mission. God needs human servants who are cleansed. He has a holy mission to be accomplished. Those who are saved by grace serve God with great gratitude. Turn with me to Psalm 51 and listen to what David is saying. He was a sinner and he's asking God to have mercy upon him. He's asking God to cleanse him from blood guiltiness. And in verse 13, he tells us then, in other words, having received your cleansing, then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will turn back to you. See, saved people, cleansed people have some work to do. And they volunteer to God unconditionally. God, I heard you saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? It says, see me, Lord. Behold me. See me. Send me. This is always the case. Remember the man from whom legion of demons were cast out. He didn't want to go home. He said, I want to follow you. Is that fine? The answer is no. But go back to your place in the Decapolis and tell everybody what God has done for you. But look at the strange commission. It is really a message of judgment. 
It is so strange. Look at it. You are going to go to my people. That is, you are going to go to Judah. Verse 9, go and tell these people, be ever hearing but never understanding, be ever seeing but never perceiving. Look at the mission. Make their heart, the heart of these people calloused. Make their ears dull. Make their eyes blind. It is an amazing statement here. This is repeated in the New Testament six times. So notice the central importance of this commission. It is speaking about the preaching of the gospel. And the vast majority of people, as they hear the gospel, their heart will be hardened, their ears become dull, and their eyes become blind. It's an amazing phenomenon. This is, I said, it's the strange mission. Go and make their heart calloused, ears dull, and what? Eyes blind. How do you do it? You just go and preach the gospel. Preach the word. That's all you need to do. The seeing will become blind. The hearing will become deaf. And the blind will see. And the deaf will hear. That's the way it is going to be. <laughs> there are people in this church, brought, born and brought up in this church, you heard the gospel, the same thing. You heard it again and again and again. What happened? It made your heart hardened. Made the ears dull. And the eyes blind. And then other people come straight from the street. With no background. And they are blind. And their eyes are opened by the same gospel. Strange. Strange mission. And notice then. And so he says, uh, how long? How long should I do this? And look at the answer. It's strange too. Look at verse 11. Until the cities lie ruined without inhabitant. Verse 12. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away. Utter destruction for Judah is pronounced. Turn with me to Zechariah, if you can find that. It is somewhere at the end of the Old Testament, chapter 7. And let me read to you from verse 11 and 12. And there are so many verses to this effect about strange emission of making heart calloused and ears dull and eyes blind through the preaching of the gospel. Through the ministry of the word. It's amazing. Your father has been preaching the word in your, in your home. And what happened? It made people dull. And you, you were wondering what, what is happening. Well, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. Strange. Zechariah 7, 11 and 12. But they refused to pay attention stubbornly. They turned their backs and stopped up their ears they made their hearts as hard as flint and would not listen to the law or to the words that the Lord Almighty had sent by his spirit through the earlier prophets amazing and you pride yourself by saying I got 1600 and I'm six foot tall God must kiss your feet now you stupid worm to you the word became a word of death. Strange. Until desolation takes place, until I kick them all out of the land. This is what we call judicial blindness. Judicial blindness. Turn with me to 
as St. John chapter 12, where this passage is quoted. You look at verse 38. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet. You see, even Jesus Christ, when he came, this is the treatment he got. The law, and so he quotes Isaiah saying, Lord, who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for this reason? They could not believe because, as Isaiah says, now notice, he has blinded their eyes. If you are sleeping when I preach, <laughs> it is because he has blinded your eyes. It's a judgment. You are, you are sleeping and your mind is going far and wide. It's all a judgment. He has blinded your eyes and deadened their hearts so they can neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them. It's amazing. Judicial blindness. Strange mission. Strange mission. Every preacher, every prophet even the prophet, the priest, and the apostle, Jesus Christ, his own mission was like this. And so he speaks about it in his parable of the sower. To you it is revealed, to them it is not revealed. To you the knowledge of the kingdom is given, to them it is not given. Pharaoh hardened their, his heart and God hardened his heart. And, oh, this is strange. We tend to think the gospel is to save you. <laughs> Yes, it is. But it does strange thing. It condemns you. It confirms you in your death. Turn with me to Isaiah. Let's find out. Verse 12. Until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. All right. Verse, 12, verse 13. And though a tenth remains, there are still some people remaining in the land. What's going to happen? This is the remnant. What's going to happen to them? It will again be laid waste. Well, God, what is going to happen? Your purpose to save people is going to be abandoned? No. The tree will be cut down and the stump remains. But the stump represents a holy people. So you could see in three concentric circles, <laughs> the outer circle, the vast majority is going to be kicked out of the land and then that leaves tenth of it. They will also be laid waste. But then there is a little circle. It's called stump. They are the holy seed. That is holy people. Well, God is going to have his people. A holy people. Represented by Isaiah and his children. God is holy. And he will have a holy people. That's why it is called holy seed. But in this strange mission. There is some silver lining. It is not complete destruction. And there it is. But as the terebinth and oak leave stumps, when they are cut down, that's a strange word. So the holy seed will be the stump in the land. And later on you find that stump. Out of that stump comes a shoot. Jesus Christ, the chosen one, in him a holy people. The tree is cut down, the stump remains, the stump is the holy seed. Represented by a son of Isaiah. His name, 7th chapter verse 3, his name is what? Shiar Jashub. A remnant shall repent. A remnant shall repent. 
out of the vast majority of people whose heart will be hardened and ears made dull and eyes blinded. A few people, God's chosen ones, holy seed. By name, Shear Jashub. A remnant shall return and repent. <laughs> and praise God for you and praise God for me. But let me tell you something. Isaiah was not the first one who said, here I am, send me. Isaiah cannot do much, but I want in conclusion to call your attention to someone else in the eternal council answered that call. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And turn with me to Psalm 40. And here it is, it is stated, verse 6 and 7 and 8. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have pierced. Burnt offerings and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, notice, here I am. I have come. It is written about me in the book, in the scroll. I desire to do your will, O oh my God. Your law is within my heart. And here it is in the eternal council. <laughs> Who said I'll go? The son said. You see Isaiah is full of sin. He cannot save anybody. But there is one without sin. There is one who is God. There is one who became man. Holy, pure, undefiled, separate from sinners. Yet identifying with the sinful nation. And it is he who died on the cross. Yes, that live coal is speaking about the cross in which Jesus Christ died. And there you see full provision for your salvation coming to you. Instead of the seraph, it is applied to you directly by the Holy Ghost. He said, here I am. You can go and read the book of Hebrews where the writer to the Hebrews speaks about the Lord Jesus Christ. Have you seen the great king? Or are you so taken up with your brilliance, your greatness, your beauty, your all focused with yourself? That's a curse. You are not the center of the universe. The center of the universe is heaven. The center of heaven is the throne and the center of throne is God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Have you seen? He's the great king. He has the right to govern and judge and rule and save. And he never dies. Have you seen the great king seated on the throne high and lifted up? A sovereign ruler of the universe. Have you seen him in his great glory and moral majesty and transcendence? Have you seen him as your judge? Have you seen him so through the ministry of your parents and ministers of the word, have you seen him? Through their ministry, through their preaching, through their reading of the word every day. Have you seen him seated on the throne? Have you seen yourself as utterly sinful, ruined, unclean, condemned? That's repentance. That is self-awareness, self-knowledge. 
It is in his light we see light and our own condition. Have you sought the cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ? Is your guilt removed? Have your sins been forgiven? Are you among the vast majority who treat the glorious God with contempt by not believing the message of salvation? Then God's judgment is about to fall on you. Believe me, it's going to happen. But God's purpose shall stand. He will save his people from their sin. Though they are likened to a stump. Out of the stump, there will come a shoot. He is called the branch. And the people are identified with him. To us, a child is born, a son is given. He is the savior. He will have a holy seed. Like Isaiah, they will repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, who is our propitiation. He said, they are going to repent. They are going to believe. They will be drawn and they will come. <laughs> Hallelujah. And they will confess. They will be forgiven. They will be justified. They will be taken up with the service of Jesus Christ. Unashamedly, they will do it. They are God's people. Not only historically chosen, but eternally chosen. They shall be cleansed. They shall be comforted. Notice in 40th chapter, that's how it begins. Nahamu, Nahamu, Ami, comfort ye, comfort ye, my people. The emphasis 40 through 66 is upon my people. And they shall be comforted. They shall be God's witnesses in this world. To the unbelieving, God shall be a consuming fire. To us who believe, he shall be a cleansing fire, enabling us to declare his praises. Called out of darkness to declare his praises. Before we couldn't do it. But now we can. We are cleansed in our lips as well as in our hearts. We are touched by the live call of the altar. The cross of Christ is our full provision for salvation. The gospel of the cross has been coming to you for some time. Listen to what St. Paul says. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. Strange work. Strange work. It's a strange mission. A mission of life for a few. And a mission of death for the vast majority of people. Don't ask me why, how, anything. It is the way it is. But you are invited. You are hearing the word. You should ask, who is this Jesus Christ? The answer is, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. You ask, what must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for you. And you shall be saved. Don't tell him how great you are. I have news for you. You are not very great. Neither am I. I just told you that. It is a strange mission. A mission of life for a few called stump. And a mission of death for many. And I beseech you to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. And you will be brought into the counsel of God. And you will hear the word of God. 
you will have fellowship with god and the throne becomes a throne of grace for you of his fullness we receive grace upon grace heavenly father we pray save your people in jesus name amen you have been listening to the first part of this new series on the book of isaiah come back soon for more on this series of bible teaching from pastor pg matthew